Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Hallelujah. Well, good afternoon, family. It's great to be back with you. I love you guys. Uh, this feels like family to me. Uh, you know, I, I, I now have the privilege of, uh, after 35 years of pastoral ministry, getting to travel. Um, I mean, in the last 10 years, I've traveled to 36 states and eight different countries doing what I'm doing both for Global Awakening as well as what I do with my foundation, God Heals PTSD Foundation. And here is what I am convinced of. Watch this. I am convinced that although God used the, the last 20 years of the mega church uh, phenomenon in America to bring a lot of people to Christ, I'm telling you that we're entering out, we're coming out of that season, and what we're coming into is a season of kingdom families where people can step into churches like this and they're no longer anonymous, they're no longer hiding in the back, but instead they can know and to be known because that's one of the greatest desires of the human heart. And the only way you get to have that happen is in churches like this. And so I told some of the leaders last night as we had dinner together, I said, you know, I, I just feel that not only are you going to have two services, but I feel, I mean, this is may not be great news for the staff, but I, I, I feel you're going to have multiple services coming because people are going to hear about what a family you are, that you can actually express yourself as a son and daughter and actually be accepted and loved which is what the Spirit of God is doing in the earth right now. And I believe that for this city, I mean, I tell you, when I, I have to understand, when you're out in Pennsylvania, which is where I live now, I'm originally a boy from Illinois, but I, I live now in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, where the Global Awakening headquarters is, and all, all we hear is the bad news about New York City. But I'm telling you, I stood in front of the red steps in front of the Father Duffy uh, Memorial there, and I experienced the glory of God in Times Square last night. I'm telling you, the, there are angels and the glory of God, and there were warring angels that were around that entire gathering and spreading out. And it was I was only there for two hours, but the glory of God that was there was just incredible. I believe for the greatest things to happen in New York City, because you know your history. You know, I, I walked down John Street, and I saw the first Methodist church that was ever founded in this country. I, there, there is something about New York City that births revival and awakening. And no matter what the enemy brings against this city, I'm telling you, this is a place of revival and awakening that's going to touch the entire earth because the nations are coming to you. The nations are here coming to you. So have great hope and anticipation for what God is doing here and continue to do what you're doing in terms of birthing and continuing to steward this place of contending in prayer because that's what your DNA here is at J-Hop and Life Center New York City. Come on, praise God, will you? <clears throat> so today I have the the honor of having my number one son, my only son. This is the amazing Nathaniel Hutchings. Nate, stand up if you would. This is Nate. Come on up here. He brought his family out from uh, Galesburg, Illinois. We're all from Illinois. We're just kids from Illinois. And uh, they came out to actually buy a, 
a border collie in Pennsylvania from uh, somebody for uh, my oldest granddaughter. So they just happen to be here. I say, you want to go to New York City with me? So this is his first time. He experienced Times Square for the first time in the glory of God, which was, which was awesome. I'm also joined by the amazing Jocelyn. Jocelyn, would you stand up? She's a second-year student at Global School of Supernatural Ministry and will be up here for ministry at the end of the service. So in addition to what I do for Global Awakening, which is I'm director of education and I uh, run the School of Ministry, nine years ago, God led me into an understanding of how to pray for people with post-traumatic stress disorder and specifically how to bring healing prayer to trauma, that it doesn't take years to get over trauma, that indeed if Jesus can forgive us of our sins uh, it, by receiving his blood, if we can get healed of any condition in our body through healing prayer, then he can also heal the shattered soul. And so over the last nine years, I've trained over 12,000 people. We have over 25,000 verified testimonies of people who've been healed of all sorts of trauma. And uh, it's just an amazing thing. So just by listening to this message today, you get to be a part of that army of heart healers and chain breakers that God is raising up to break the power of trauma on the earth in Jesus' name. Amen? Give me the book. So we have, I have a book called Supernatural Freedom from the Captivity of Trauma. It gives the entire uh, healing trauma seminar as well as some other resources that are available. All of the uh, prayers are in this book that you can literally read for yourself and get healed of trauma just all by yourself, but it's available. For them. I'd like to give it to this gentleman with the U.S. Navy. A uh, hat on right here. Sir, you're a veteran, is that right? You're a veteran. I want, what's that? It's your birthday as well. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for your service to this country. God bless you. We love you. Come on. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Peggy. Happy birthday. Hallelujah. Yay. For those of you that are still old school and have a DVD player, we have a DVD of the seminar. Who has a DVD player that wants one of these? Come, come right back there, sister. Come get it. Come get it. Here it is. There you go. God bless you. There you are. And then really old school, we have a CD of the seminar. I mean, really. Maybe if you still have got somebody over here. Okay. And then for all of us who are new school, that is, we download everything. There is a download card that has uh, the brand new version of the Healing Trauma Seminar. It's about five and a half hours of teaching. You can download it right to your computer and, and have it available. So that's there as well. Hallelujah. Let's pray. And when I pray, open your eyes. That's how I pray. So, Father, thank you for the angels that came in this room during worship that are still here. There are healing angels in this room. There are angels of deliverance. There are angels of freedom that are here. But there are also the angels that are assigned to New York City that are here in this region. Particularly, I, I, saw, I, like, I saw this angel that had gold in its hands, in its arms, had like bars of gold. And I believe it's the angel that's assigned to the financial district here. 
is in this room right now. So I think there's supernatural provision that's available for many of you. Who needs supernatural provision right now in Jesus' name? I do. Father, we just ask for those angels that brought gold bars in this room to just bring it to those. Just drop it. Drop it in their laps, Lord, in the name of Jesus. So, Father, I just thank you right now for the glory that's in this room. Holy Spirit, I cancel and I sever every assignment of the evil one, specifically the spirit of trauma, the spirit of fear, the spirit of panic and anxiety. I cancel and I sever the spirit of suicide and death in Jesus' name. We declare life, life, life in this room in Jesus' name and freedom that you paid for. Jesus, we want you to see in our lives everything that you paid for. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, get your Bibles out. We're going to go, and you can put the uh, PowerPoint up if you would, please, guys. Thank you. Uh, we're going to look at three scriptures today. Um, the first service had the espresso version. Espresso version. You're going to get the full version, the full Americano version. Uh, so we're going to look at Isaiah uh, 61. And then Psalm 23, and we're going to end in uh, Psalm 34, 17 through 19, and 147. So you can know that that's where we're going to go today. The title of this message is, He Restores My Soul. <clears throat> you and I live in some of the most traumatic moments of human history right now. Uh, what's traumatic about it, and I want you to get a clear understanding of this, is not just the fact that bad things are happening throughout the earth, but the fact that we now have 24-7 access to everything that's taking place. That the reality is, is that we live in a very traumatic world, and now as opposed to, say, 70 or 80 years ago or even 50 years ago, we don't have instant access to all of that. So how many of you know as you've watched what's happened in Ukraine that you've been traumatized by watching that? Right? How many of you know listening about the school shootings that take place in places like Uvalde and other places, there, there's, your, your, your soul is overwhelmed by the horror of that. Uh, and then on top of that, how many of you know that you and I just lived through one of the greatest traumatic events in all of human history the last two years with the pandemic? That, that what you don't understand is that what came with the pandemic was not just a virus that we were afraid that we were going to get, but what came with it was a, a, a spirit of fear, a spirit of death that came with it, and it came and knocked on all of our doors so that the very first thing that we were told to do when this came was that we had to isolate ourselves. And what you don't understand about carrying unhealed trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder is that the very first symptom of having unhealed trauma is the fact that you isolate yourself from other people. You get you isolate yourself because you're afraid to be in crowds, you're afraid to be around other people, and you're afraid to talk about what's happened to you because the spirit of trauma lies to you and says, nobody will ever fully understand my trauma. They just don't know what I've been through, and so I'm just going to isolate myself. And the more you isolate yourself, the more you give the, the demonic spirits that attach themselves to trauma more access to you to continue to lie to you and to speak evil to you in Jesus' name. So not only do we have the, the, the pandemic and all of that trauma, but then all the trauma that's happening in our cities, 
all of the fear that's, that's being generated by the lawlessness and things that are taking place. And the question is, is there an answer? Is there a healing? Is there something for all the trauma that everybody's carrying? And not only are we carrying the trauma of the current events that are taking place, but how many of you know, many of us still carry trauma from our childhood. You know, there's a, there's a definitive, there is a greater medical link between early childhood trauma and the onset of addictions than there is between diabetes and obesity. In other words, they've proven that, uh, that people who've experienced early childhood trauma have had what they, is known as adverse childhood experiences, that those people who've experienced that have a greater degree of addictions in their lives. So addictions can come in any way, don't you know that? You can be addicted to drugs and alcohol, you can be addicted to pornography, you can be addicted to gambling, or here's a big thing in your city, you can be addicted to workaholism. In other words, you're trying to medicate your pain by being a perfectionist or being a workaholic or just giving your lives completely to work. All of that is part of the way uh, the human soul has to find some kind of medication for the pain that they're under. And so understand this, that the, the trauma, and by the way, everybody look at me. You got to know this. Everybody has trauma. Turn to somebody and say, everybody has trauma. We just broke the lie of isolation right now in Jesus' name. We just broke that lie off of you. Because no matter what your trauma has been, everybody can understand what it's like to be traumatized. I mean, even if it's a car accident. How many of you have had car accidents and you were traumatized by them, right? I mean, how can you stop from not having a car accident in New York City? I mean, my God. Uh, um, you know, anyway, take the subway, right? And that's a whole other trauma, right? That's a whole other trauma. See, there's something you need to understand. First of all, the church of Jesus Christ has actually been afraid to talk about trauma because we believe the lie that has come. And by the way, I'm not against psychologists. I'm not against psychiatrists. I'm not against social workers. I'm not against therapists. They are blessings to us in a huge way. But the lie that many of them have received and pass on is that once you've been traumatized, once you've been diagnosed with PTSD, you'll never be healed. You'll have to carry it for the rest of your life. You'll have to just develop coping skills, and we'll give you medications and be part of a group and things like that. And the reality is that's not what the Bible declares about what's actually available for us. You know, it says in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 is the prophecy that the prophet declared about the ministry of the Messiah that was to come. And this is what Isaiah 61 says in the first three verses. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, speaking of Jesus, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, the afflicted, to the traumatized, to the victimized, and to the outcast. It says, I have come to heal the brokenhearted, to declare liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to declare the favorable year of the Lord 
and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to say to those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness and joy for the spirit of mourning and, and, and sorrow, the mantle of praise for the spirit of heaviness and fainting, that they would be called oaks and trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. We know that this prophecy speaks specifically of Jesus because in Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, Jesus goes, as, as he's beginning his ministry, he goes into this, his home synagogue, and they give him the book of scroll to read that day. And when he opens the scroll, he reads from Isaiah 61. And when Jesus sat down and he was looking at the whole congregation, he said to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Isaiah 61 is important to know in this moment of time because it declares what Jesus came to bring us as human beings. First of all, he said he came to bring good news, not to the rich and famous, not to the celebrities, not to the healthy, not, not to the, the elite of our society, but he came to the most poor, the most broken, the most afflicted, the most outcast. How many of you have been watching the Chosen uh, series? Uh, isn't it? It's just an amazing. Uh, my, one of my favorite episodes is the episode where he goes to the woman at the well. Anybody remember this episode? Now understand, the woman at the well was from a town, Sychar, which was in the region that was populated by the Samaritans. The Samaritans were the despised people. Although they were Jews, they were despised because they were considered to be a people of mixture, that they had compromised their worship. And so Jesus actually took his disciples to Sychar on one of their first mission trips. And when he encountered the woman at the well, not only was she a Samaritan, that she was a part of a despised people, an outcast, marginalized people, but she was also, watch this, she was despised by her own people, which is why she didn't come out with the rest of the women in the morning to get water. She came by herself. And the way I love, uh, I love the way Dallas Jenkins, who wrote, uh, wrote the script for The Chosen, puts it. This woman, despised and rejected, poor and afflicted, she becomes the very first recipient of the good news. And she then becomes the very first evangelist for the Jesus Christ Evangelistic Association is that she goes into Sychar and begins to testify what Jesus did for her. And the, men, the people start coming out. And finally, when Jesus goes into Sychar, he, you know, they finally say to Jesus, we don't have to listen. I mean, we don't have to listen to this woman anymore. In other words, you get the idea that she was spreading the news as much as she could. It says, now we see the good news. We see the works that you're doing. We know you're of God. And they received him because of the testimony of this woman. Understand this, that the good news that Jesus brought was that the God who created us was available today. He, was, he is with us. And by his presence, he restores the dream of God for all of humankind. 
he comes as a representative to destroy the nightmare that the enemy had brought onto earth and all of the evil and all of the terrible things that had happened because our ancestors disconnected themselves from their creator and instead allowed the ruler of this world, who is Satan, to come in and every everything that makes life miserable, you can name it, whether it's racism, whether it's wars, whether it's disease, whether it's pestilence, whether it's murder, whatever it is that makes life miserable, poverty, famine, whatever it is that came into this earth because our ancestors, Adam and Eve, disconnected themselves from the creator. And instead, they literally handed the keys that operated this world over to the enemy of our soul. And so for all these millennium, we have been living under the oppression of a ruler that is only out to steal, kill, and destroy the dream of God for our life. Understand in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. He's not talking about life in heaven. He's talking about heaven coming down to earth and life right here and now. How many of you believe in that? Anybody? So Jesus says, I've come to bring that good news to you. And I'm bringing it to those who need it the most, the poor and the afflicted, the traumatized and the victimized. And then he declares to us what the very first sign and wonder of that good news. Guys, if you're not preaching a gospel that brings signs and wonders with it, you're preaching a wrong gospel. You're preaching a watered-down gospel. You're preaching a gospel that may only be about salvation. But how many of you know the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus brought was much more than just getting saved to go to heaven? It's about experiencing the fullness of the reign of Christ right here and now. That we go forth and advance the kingdom with the power of the kingdom that is available to all of us right here and now. That's what you guys are contending for in New York City. You're contending for the advancing of the kingdom. You, I mean, you're going to grow your church, but it's not about growing Life Center. It's about advancing the kingdom in every area of New York City, going to the deepest, darkest places and seeing God come by power and authority and love and see people come to know the love of God and let all the nations know that right here in New York City. Jesus is the very first sign and wonder of the good news coming through this gospel is that he's come to heal the brokenhearted. Now the word brokenhearted in Hebrew, wherever you find it, means simply this, shattered soul. You know, we're not talking about, you know, we grew up in the 60s and 70s where all the music was about, you know, my heart's breaking because you left me, you know, heartbreak hotel from Elvis and all that other stuff. So there's this idea of having a broken heart because I don't have a girlfriend or a boyfriend anymore, you know. And then we wonder why we had such prominent relationships, right? Because we sang those songs all the time. I'm just saying. But that's not what brokenheartedness means in the depths of the Hebrew. It literally means to carry a shattered soul. That within every person, there's this what's called the seed of your personality. It's, it's, it's where, and by the way, let's go to the next slide if you would. I say that there are four components to the soul. The first one is your mind. 
what and how you think, the, the neural pathways that Dr. Carolyn Leaf in her book, Switch on Your Brain, talked to us about how we have different pathways in our minds that are default thoughts and things that we believe about ourselves and believe about God and believe about our world. And there are thoughts that are already there. You know, I don't know if any of you know the work of Dr. Daniel Amen, who has the Amen Brain Clinic in California, but he talks about how all of us have ants in our brains. You know what the ants are? A-N-T? A-N-T, the ants are automatic negative thoughts that you and I carry because of our programming throughout our life, what, what our life has given us. We have automatic negative thoughts. Here's how you know you have an automatic negative thought about what you think is going to happen to you. If you're to... Uh, if you were to go to your car, I assume everybody may have a car or a bike or something here, and you go out to your, your vehicle one day, and, and you, f you see that you have a flat tire. I'm not cursing anybody. I'm just saying it's, this is a possibility. You go out and have a flat tire, <laughs> just saying, and you walk up to it, and you the first response that comes out of your mouth in seeing the flat tire is you say, well, of course. That every time we have something bad happen to us or something that's a delay or a difficulty, the very first thing we say is, of course. Then what you're revealing is that you believe is that your life is one bad thing after the other. And so that all I can expect out of life is having difficulties, is having trials, is having troubles all the time that that's just the normal way that you think your life operates. That's actually an ant. That's an automatic negative thought. There's a reason why Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what the will of God is for your life, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That what that scripture is actually saying is the only way that you can actually transform and become the son and daughter that God has always dreamed you to be is to actually begin to change the way you think about who God is, about who you are, and what's available to you. Because the will of God is, the will of God for you is not for you just to suffer all the time. It's not for you to live with trauma your entire life. It's not for you to have to deal with obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, but indeed it is the will of God for you to live a blessed life. Read Psalm 67. Write that down. I'm not going to go there, but read Psalm 67. Psalm 67 declares that the greatest evangelistic strategy that God has ever had for the earth is to find a people whom he can greatly bless and greatly favor so that when all the nations look at them and see the God that blesses them and favors them and provides for them, they say, you know what? Our gods don't treat us like your God. We want to know who your God is. That's the greatest evangelism strategy in the earth, Psalm 67. So your soul, first of all, is made up of your mind, what and how you think. Number two, it's made up of your will, what and how you choose. How many of you know that many times unhealed trauma can make normally sane people make insane decisions? We're going to talk in just a minute about David. 
and how David was a shepherd boy, and then he was anointed king, then he became a giant slayer, and then he was persecuted by Saul. Eventually, uh, after 13 years of, of being persecuted and hunted by Saul, eventually he became king. And then it was after, after he was anointed king that David began to make some really stupid choices. He, he raped, by the way, his affair with Bathsheba was not adultery. He raped Bathsheba. Just let's be clear. He took her in and then killed her husband. Later on, he did a sin. When God explicitly forbade him to count the people that he had, David decided it might be just a great idea to go ahead and count the people just in case. And because of that, the judgment of God came upon the whole nation. You see, you need to understand something. People who carry trauma make bad decisions about their lives because their mind is affected by the trauma that they've encountered, which is why so many people who carry trauma have are addicted to things. And the addiction actually brings more bondage into their life than freedom. Could I have an agreement in the room, anybody? So the way, so we make bad choices about the kind of people that we're around. I don't know if you've ever met a, a woman who has been traumatized by all the men that they've had, that she's had in her life. And then what you discover is that maybe this, this woman was sexualized as a child and abused. And each man that she chooses is another abuser. And she keeps choosing the same man over and over and over again simply because of the trauma that she's carried her whole life. Now, guys, I'm not saying that we can excuse bad decisions and say, oh, well, if they've sinned, you know, it's because of their trauma. That's not what I'm talking about. But it make, you, gives you an understanding of, about how people continue to make bad choices over and over again when they've experienced great trauma in their life. It affects them in a way, it affects their soul in a way that, that keeps them in bondage. The third thing is your emotions. How many of you know the trauma affects your emotions in such a way that you, you live more by your feelings than you do by the facts, by the, by the truth of God's word? How many of you know that your feelings lie to you? I hope you all know that. That feelings do not give you your reality. I don't know if you've read the Psalms lately, but how many of you know that David... Uh, had some problems with emotions. As a matter of fact, as you read the psalm, it's like being with a manic depressive. You know, he, he starts out in the high, and then he goes, boom, he goes down to low. God, don't, don't forsake me. He goes up high again, then he goes down low. God, kill all my enemies, cut out their tongues, stab them in the spear, you know. I mean, it's, it's anger, it's, it's hatred, it's fear, it's depression, it's panic, it's anxiety, it's joy, it's praise. I mean, you almost need a Xanax after reading, you know, reading the Psalms because it's, it's crazy. That's because I believe that David was one of the most traumatized men in the whole Bible. We'll talk about that in a minute, what that looks like. The final thing is your identity. Trauma impacts your identity in such a way that the spirit of trauma that, by the way, uses any trauma that you experience as a landing strip to come and influence what you think about yourself, what you think about God, 
but you think about what's available to you. And trauma gives you a false identity. It's a fake identity that's not your true self. It tries to cover over your, your identity in such a way that you really don't know who you are. I, I talk about the soul as like a mirror. And, you know, when you got up this morning, you took a look in the mirror to make sure that your hair was in good shape and nothing was hanging out of your nose, you know, that type of a thing. And, and you know, you got an, it's not your full identity, but you get an idea how you're going to present yourself. What, so if you think about the soul like a mirror, what trauma does is it takes that mirror and it shatters it. And it shatters it in such a way that when you try to look for who you really are, you don't see the reflection of God's dream for your life, but instead you see the reflection of Satan's plan, nightmare for your life. That you see yourself through the lens of trauma. And so therefore you end up with a fake identity. Everybody that I've ever prayed for with, with any kind of trauma, whether it be diagnosed post-traumatic stress or just people who, who carry trauma, express three primary emotions. The first emotion is shame. And shame says, there's something bad about me. There's something deep within inside of me that's wrong and bad. And that's why I've received so much trauma in my life. Because I obviously deserve it because of my identity carrying shame. Number two, second primary emotion is guilt. Guilt says, well, God must be punishing me. I must have done something wrong, which is why all these bad things happened to me. And by the way, you can carry guilt not only for your own things, but for many veterans, many first responders. Um, and, and yes, even if you've had somebody die that was in, in a, a traumatic event with you, you can carry something called survivor's guilt. And survivor's guilt says, this person that was next to me died, but I'm still alive. There's something wrong with that equation. And what happens, I have, a, I have one of my students, uh, Brooke Steinbecker, who was an uh, Afghanistan uh, veteran. He was in Iraq and Afghanistan, and his best friend died uh, by getting blown up with an IED. And when he came back after being in Afghanistan, he was at home, and eventually he had a medical discharge because he had so much PTSD. And he began to hear this lie that the only, his, his best friend who was killed had a wife, had kids, all he had was a wife, and he made a decision one day. He said the only way to make, this was the lie he was listening to, the only way to make the world right again was for me to kill myself. But thank God, um, through divinely set of circumstances, he didn't do it, and eventually he got not only saved, but healed of all of his PTSD, and now he has an amazing ministry where he's creating a, a, a retreat center out in the uh, outskirts of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, for both uh, military veterans as well as first responders to come and receive healing from PTSD. Come on, give thanks to God, will you? That's, that's what God does. But I believe David had a shattered soul. I believe David carried trauma his entire life, even though he had a relationship with the Father. 
You see, here's the other lie that the devil tells you. He, t he says to you, well, you must not have a good relationship with God if you're still traumatized. And see, brothers and sisters, what you and I need to understand is this, that walking with Jesus is a process. As a matter of fact, Jocelyn will tell you that the big motto that we have at Global School of Supernatural Ministry is trust the process because Jesus is the great potter that is molding us and shaping us as lumps of clay into his identity. But we can still struggle with things even though we're filled with the Holy Spirit, even though we're, we're on fire, we've been knocked down by God in impartation. We, we know we see people healed around us and things like that, but you can still have some wounds. See, David experienced what I call both sides of trauma. The first kind of trauma, and you can call it trauma A, is the absence of good things. See, David was not accepted by his family. If you know the story of how he was anointed king, uh, Saul, the king, had, had his kingship taken away from him by God out of rebellion. And so Samuel, the national prophet, went to the house of Jesse on assignment from God, and God told him to anoint one of the sons of Jesse as the new king. So Jesse, or Samuel went. Jesse brought out, quote-unquote, all of his sons. And Samuel went down the line and finally realized that whoever God had sent him to anoint was not there. So Samuel says, is there anybody remaining? And Jesse said, well, there's David. And it wasn't because David was out on the fields taking care of the sheep. It wasn't because David was the youngest youngest child. It was because many biblical commentators believe that David was the illegitimate product of another relationship that Jesse had with another woman. That he was not, his mother was not the mother of all the rest of the sons. And he was considered to be like a redheaded stepchild. In other words, he wasn't fully accepted or loved by his family. And guys, when you are told by your parents that you were an accident, that you're surprised to them, or maybe you were conceived in less than desirable circumstances like a sexual assault or a rape, or you don't even know how you were conceived, the devil likes to put a big question mark over your head that questions your existence and whether or not you should even be here. When your family doesn't accept you, the one group of people that should love you and accept you and value you for who you are, when that doesn't happen, that's trauma. David knew that trauma. He knew what it was. Even after he was anointed king of Israel, he wasn't exactly celebrated by the rest of his family. The other kind of trauma David knew was what we call trauma B, and that's the presence of bad things. He became a mighty warrior. He, he killed Goliath. We all celebrate that and say, yay, giant slayers. The only thing is, you're, you know, how many of you know the end of that story when he kills Goliath, that he takes Goliath's sword and chops his head off? And we, we say, yay, kill the giant. Trouble is, 15-year-old boys are not supposed to be chopping people's heads off. And he became such a mighty warrior that it was said of him that Saul had slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And when he finally became king, he wanted to build a house for God in Jerusalem. And God says, I'm sorry, you can't do it. 
because your hands are full of too much blood. So whether it's being a veteran of our military, whether it's being a first responder on the streets of New York City, whether it's because you suffered violent abuse as a child from your parents or from other people, whether you suffered sexual abuse and assault, whether you were in 9-11 or you've seen other horrible things happen around you, those things impact you in such a way that they literally shatter your soul. You, you don't see yourself the way God sees you, but instead you see yourself through the lens of trauma. In Psalm 23, David is writing about his relationship with God, and he compares it with the kind of tender, loving care that he as a shepherd gives to his sheep. Now, just a caveat here, folks. How many of you know that when God calls us sheep, that it's not exactly the greatest compliment? I don't know if you've ever been around sheep, but they are notoriously difficult to train. There are no sheep acts in the circus. And if you put them on a pasture that has a cliff next to it, they will literally eat themselves off the cliff. I mean, that's just that's what they are. So the, 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 the point here is that sheep need constant, tender, loving care, constant attention, which is beautiful because that's how God says that's the way our Father treats us. He always is attentive towards us. He's always giving us tender, loving care. So he begins the Lord's, this, shepherd, this Psalm 23 by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now what's important about that is it tells of the tender loving care of the Father, but it also says that there will be times that he leads us into the valley of the shadow of death. There will be times that we're in the presence of our enemies, but his presence is with us. Now here's the key from that chapter where it says he restores my soul I've read a lot of paraphrases and heard a lot of messages about oh yeah God wants to refresh your soul like you're going to go to a spa day and have your nails done and sit in a hot tub and a sauna and just kind of have a refreshing day but guys that's not the meaning of restore here the word restore in the Hebrew is the word aruka a-r-u-k-h and it is literally the term that is used in the covenant that God made with Israel. That when a member of a community, of that, of that community, steals something from another member, not only do they have to bring restitution, that is, they have to give back what they've stolen, but they have to do restoration, which is they have to give from four to seven times the value of what they stole from the person in the first place. 
because the act of being robbed of something is actually traumatic to the person who had that thing stolen from them. So what was taken from them not only has to be restituted, but it has to be restored to the extent that at the end, the person who had the trauma of having that stolen from them is not only are they made whole again, but they're made better than whole than what they were before. You know, it says of Job, when he, Job went through all of his stuff, it says at the end of the chapter, at the end of the story, he says, God restored to Job all that was taken from him and even over and above. So Job was better off at the end than he was at the beginning. And the secret to Job was it says in Job 1, 4, chapter 142, it says in all these things, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God for what happened to him. See, you've got to understand that uh, there is a mystery in living this life, brothers and sisters. And the mystery is, I don't know why bad things happen to good people or to people that don't deserve them. All I know is that we live in a very broken, sin-sick, disastrous world. But the truth of the gospel, of the good news of the kingdom is that whatever the enemy has stolen from you, God's going to bring it back to you and he's going to give you better than you could ever imagine. Maybe the guys will get this. I, I love classic cars. I mean, I like like 67 to 69 Camaros. I love the, the, the 67 Challenger that Vin Diesel drives in Fast and Furious, right? I mean, all the other stuff he puts on it is crazy, but I just like that model of, of Charger. I love the 1970 Challengers. You know, I love the, the 66 uh, Mustang Bullet that Bullet drove in, in that old movie. I know I'm talking way back. For some of the young ones, you have no clue what I'm talking about. But anyway, I love classic cars. And I like to go to car shows and see them restored back to showroom condition. And I was talking to the Lord one day. I said, Lord, you know, I would really like to like to have a classic car like that. And he says, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't, ha you wouldn't be happy with it. And I, I said, well, why, Lord? He says, well, you're a man of the 21st century. You know, you enjoy your power seats. You enjoy your power windows. You enjoy your power brakes. You enjoy your power steering. You like your GPS. You like your heated and air-conditioned seats. You wouldn't be happy with a classic car. And then the Lord says, now watch this. That's the picture of my restoration that I do of the dream of God for people's lives. That I give them better than they've ever had in their whole life. That they get to restore the they get to not only be restored back to what they think they had, but they actually get restored back to better. They begin to live an abundant life that they never dreamed could actually be available for them. That's my version of restoring the soul. Psalm 34, 17 through 19 says this. It says, uh, verses 18 and 19, it says, God is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And then he says this, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. So understand that as long as we live in this world, we are going to deal with afflictions. We're going to deal with the losing of loved ones. You know, I, I, uh, I lost seven wonderful friends during COVID. Great men of God who were doing amazing works. And 
I, as a pastor, I've walked through all sorts of people dying tragically and walking with people through them and everything. But I had to admit, when losing seven people over a period of about four months did something to me. And there was kind of a senselessness about it. How many of you understand what I'm talking about here? There was a senselessness about it. I said, God, what, what is this? And, and he told me, he says, son, I, I've sent you into dark places. And unfortunately, you know, there are times that, you know, their people are, are taken out. They get to come with me and they get to go to heaven to experience their reward. But, you know, it, he didn't give me an explanation. He gave me peace. He gave me a sense of just trusting in him because, guys, that's the only place that peace comes from is in trusting him. The good news is that Psalm 147.3, David later on writes, God heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Literally, Brian Simmons in the Passion Translation puts it this way. God heals all shattered hearts, and he heals their wounds. I've come to find out over these last nine years and praying for thousands of people and then equipping thousands more to go out and bring healing. We have people that go out into places of great darkness, into sexual human trafficking. They go into war zones. They go into places of, of, of getting with the, the immigrants that are coming into this country. Uh, I just a couple weeks ago, I spent 14 days in Rwanda uh, ministering within the Catholic Church to all of those who have been carrying the, the trauma of genocide for these 30 years and having people who are survivors of the genocide who have machete scars on their, on their bodies and on their heads. And, and I actually did an identificational repentance in a group of over 700 people where I saw the role that white people had in that genocide. And not only did white people have a role in the genocide of exacerbating it, but then when the, the inhabitants of Rwanda cried out for help, nobody responded. And I stood in identificational repentance and asked forgiveness for all that the colonizers and the white people did to that country. And then to have literally 95% of those 700 people run up to me and to say to me that they forgave me, that they forgave us as a people. And, and I mean, I was wrecked. We did that for two and a half hours. As they said, we receive your repentance, we receive your forgiveness, and we forgive you in Jesus' name. You know, I, in, in a little bit, I'm going to Ukraine um, because we work with an organization called Crisis Response International, and They've asked me if I would go with them and go to the western border of, of Ukraine, the eastern border of Poland, where the millions of, of refugees are. And they're saying their number one issue right now is not food, it's not shelter, but it's getting healed of the trauma because they're experiencing suicides and all sorts of awful things. And so we're going to go back there uh, to train. I was in Ukraine in 2015. But I'm telling you, folks, no matter how dark and broken whatever place we're called to be, there is healing from trauma, there is freedom, there is deliverance, that no matter whether your trauma came from things that happened to you or that your trauma came from things that you did, the blood of Jesus Christ is strong enough to heal it all, to restore your soul to the place that you can actually begin to believe God 
or fullness of healing. Go to the next slide, please. Next slide, please. In Japanese art, there's this thing called kintsugi or kintsukuroi. And whenever a, a piece of pottery, a piece of art is broken, they actually, instead of throwing it away, they take the pieces and they put it back into the original shape that the creator of that piece of art had envisioned. And in doing so, they use gold or silver lacquer to put back the pieces in place. So at the end of the process, not only is the fullness of the dream of the creator restored, but watch this. It's more beautiful and more valuable for having been broken because the gold is put in the broken places again. Next slide, please. This is what God does with our hearts. He seeks to bring the gold of heaven. And I know I've, I'm gone a little over today, but I want to give you one last thing, a testimony. I had a, a global school of supernatural ministry student, Joseph Tyndall, who had known child abuse nearly his entire life. He had been in the military, and then he had been a police officer. And even though he was saved, he was born again, he was filled with the Spirit, he was a great student, he still had things that were impacting his identity in such a way that his behavior was such that whenever he got filled with anxiety or any kind of fear, he reacted in rage and anger. By the way, if, if, if you know people that are ragers, that they get angry at the drop of a hat, it's not because they're mean people or evil people. It's probably because that they're traumatized. But I want to show this video, guys, if we could, of Joseph Tyndall as a testimony of what God does to bring healing. All right, whenever you're ready. All right, um, I was in class, and uh, Dr. Mike was there talking about PTSD and trauma. And uh, well, at the end of the class, when we started praying for everybody's brain to be rewired and started talking about how people had parts of their identity that um, was stolen from them, things attached to them that wasn't actually them. And uh, at the end, I felt stuff going on in my mind. Like I felt like it was, I guess, being rewired is the only way I can think to explain it. And I felt stuff going on in my spirit and I didn't feel like there was a complete release. So at the end of class, I went up to him and asked for him to pray with me. And uh, whenever he started praying with me, um, he wouldn't let me look away from his eyes. And uh, he started praying that my mind and everything would be rewired. He, laid his, he asked me if he could lay his hand on my head, and he did. And I felt the power of God hit me, and I started seeing... Um, I started seeing like the scenes and stuff that had happened throughout my life. Like I've had trauma since I was three years old, um, abusive father. I've had uh, training. I've been a police officer. I've seen some things that have basically caused like me to have anxiety in certain situations and certain thoughts and everything that caused me anxiety. So um, he was praying for me, and I started seeing these scenes that had had so much power over me start to be shattered. Like I, it looked like glass. And it looked like a hammer was hitting the glass and they were being shattered. And I was feeling like this release. I was feeling like all the, the power that they had over me was being released. And I, there was actually memories that I was actually forgetting. And uh, after all of this, I felt the power of God hit me. And I fell to the ground. And while I was on the ground, I was shaking. And it actually was very uncomfortable. I was like, what's going on? And uh, Mike discerned that it was that I was trying to hold on to something. He said, you need to let that go, son. He was like, that's not who you are. And uh, whenever I decided just to relax, I felt like a thousand pounds lifted off of me. And it actually felt like a part of me had left. 
and it was at that moment I was like, what's going on? Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. And uh, a little bit later I realized that it really, the, the demeanor and part of the personality that I picked up from the way that I was molded through life wasn't actually who I was. Um, it's been a few weeks now, and since that point, people who are closest to me um, have noticed how I behave differently in different situations. Like, I couldn't have my back to a door without having extreme anxiety because of, I was a police officer, you know, and um, certain situations that I'd been through, people would bring them up, and they used to cause anxiety, and my anxiety would come out in the form of frustration, and they were like, wow, you're so different. You're not who I remember you being. Like, this is who you were always supposed to be. So yeah, after Mike prayed for me, I would say that I finally know what freedom is. And I thought that I was always free. I thought that it was something that I was going to have to live with for the rest of my life. I just thought it was who I was. And I'd learned to cope. I thought that it would be something that would get better or as I would, you know, go to more conferences or whatever, like the Holy Spirit would come and I would learn how to deal with these situations different. But they just left because they were never supposed to be a part of who I was. So I'm free. So everybody look at me. Keep your eyes. Don't look at me because I'm handsome or I'm amazing. Look at me because I like to see people's eyes when I pray for them. Holy Spirit, thank you for your power that's in this room right now. Thank you, Father, that there is not one person here that you don't know the trauma that they still carry. You know. You know. And Father, you've sent me on assignment today to bring hope and healing and restoration to every dream of God that is in this room in Jesus' name. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I plead the blood over each soul in this room. I plead the, the, your blood that brings restoration of relationship with Jesus, but also brings restoration of the fullness of the dream of God for our lives. In the name of Jesus. By the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, I declare you're completely forgiven of every bad thing that's ever happened to you or that you've done. And that in the name of Jesus, the Lord wants to give you the grace to forgive all those who have hurt you. That in Jesus' name, if, if you will just say this with me, in the name of Jesus, I forgive and I release everyone who's ever hurt me. I forgive them. You forgive them, Father, and I release them. Put your hand right here. In the name of Jesus, I speak healing to your soul. I speak healing to all that you really are in the dream of God for your life. I command healing to your mind. I command healing to your will. I command healing to your emotions in Jesus' name. And I speak restoration of the fullness of God's dream for your life in Jesus' name. That you would begin to see through the scripture what all that God says about you and for you in Jesus' name. That you no longer listen to the lies, the lids, and the labels that were put on you by the lies of the enemy or by what other authority in your life, parents or teachers or other spiritual authority have lied over you in Jesus' name. And I declare there is no lie, letter, or label that is about you any longer in Jesus' name, but that there is an open heaven over you right now by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name.
that you experience the shalom of God, which is not just peace, but it's wholeness. It is wholeness. It is walking in the wholeness of all that God desires for you, the truly abundant life that Jesus desires for you in Jesus' name. Now watch me. Take your right hand and put it right back here on the right back of your, of your head. This is where all your traumatic images and memories stay. That it, there's a hippocampus where all your memories are, but right here is where your traumatic images and memories are. Now watch me in Jesus' name. I command every traumatic image and memory to dry up and die in the name of Jesus. I sever the neural pathway that leads to them, and I sever your five senses, your seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, and hearing from being affected or being triggers to those traumatic images and memories any longer in Jesus' name. I cancel and I sever every assignment of the spirit of trauma, the spirit of fear, the spirit of panic and anxiety. I specifically address the spirit of suicide and death in the name of Jesus. And I declare that spirit of suicide and death, you will no longer lie to these sons and daughters of God. You will, that hopelessness is being removed and hope and faith and trust and joy is being restored in the name of Jesus. I also speak to your sleep centers, and I say in Jesus' name, anybody who's only sleeping two to three hours a night, in Jesus' name, I declare Proverbs 3.24 over you that says, because you walk in covenant with God, you shall no longer lie down in fear, but it's your Father's inheritance to you to give you sweet sleep in Jesus' name. Six to eight hours of uninterrupted sleep with no nightmares or night terrors any longer in the name of Jesus. Now put your hand right back here again. Pray this with me. Holy Spirit, come and fill every area of my life, my mind, my body, my spirit that's been affected by trauma. I renounce trauma. I release trauma. It's no longer part of me. I declare that I am who my Father declares of me. I am no longer defined by my history. What I have done, what's been done to me, what I witnessed, or by my family. I am who my Father calls me. He calls me His beloved child in whom He is well pleased. Somebody give thanks to God, will you? Hallelujah! There's going to be a ministry team up here and Jocelyn, my student's going to be up here if you want further, but uh, let's give it up. Thank you, Jesus. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at Life Center NYC or YouTube at Life Center Church NYC.